Well, hello, Trinity. Great to be with you again, and I am so glad to be here. Those of you watching online, thank you so much for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, I, you know what? I, I didn't actually say what Jared said, just so you know. I, I, didn't, I didn't do that. He's a wonderful pastor, but he's a liar, and, uh, <laughs> which is why we're having the series, just so you know. What I said was, it wasn't an Oreo, it was a sandwich, and the meat was in the middle. No, no, I didn't say that either. I'm just kidding. So, hey, great to be with you. We are in a series called Done With That. And we're talking about leaving our old life before Christ and experiencing all that God has for us in this, in this new life. And, and I remember it like it was yesterday. It was December 27th, 1983. Half of you weren't even born back then, but I was a college student. And I, I remember it because I was in Kansas City, Missouri, and it was negative nine degrees. Very memorable for me, uh, being in Arizona for a long time. So negative nine degrees. But what made it most memorable was the speaker that night was a, was a guy that maybe you've heard his name. His name was Billy Graham. You ever heard of Billy Graham, a worldwide evangelist? He was speaking that night to this group of students. There were 17,000 college students in this arena. And Billy Graham was speaking to us that night. His, his talk was called The Cross of Christ. And this guy was, he was a hero. He was brilliant. And, you know, wow, everyone wants to be like, like Billy because he just, he walked with God for, for an entire lifetime. And just, I love this guy. And so, but in the middle of the talk, I'm 19 years old. I'm hearing talking. And he, he says this, he says, Jesus may be your savior, but is he your Lord? Amen. He, he may be the one that saved you from your sin, but are you following him every day of your life? And I got to be honest, I had no idea what that meant. I was a brand new Christian. I'd grown up in church, but the difference between growing up in church and knowing Jesus, and I just like, I have no idea. And I realized, no, that he started to describe what that meant to have Jesus as the leader of your life day by day and week by week and moment by moment. I'm like, I, that's, that's not me. That's not my experience. And, and you know, Billy Graham does this thing, called, it's called altar calls. He brings people to the, the front. I had been a part of this Christian group for just a little bit. I was absolutely terrified to stand up and walk to the front. It was going to be embarrassing for me. So I'm like, God, you know, I want to walk up front. And I, 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 you know, but no one needs to know. But this is between you and me, God. But yes, I want to give my whole life to Jesus. I want to follow you with every moment. And I surrendered my life that day. I did, and, and you know, so I was really excited, and I, I wasn't really telling, it was just between me and God, and, and the good news is I had this, this, this excitement by the faith, and I was gonna choose to follow God every moment and every day and every week, and that lasted for at least two hours before I realized I had blown it again. And it's situations like, like I, wanted to, I wanted to follow him. I had every intention of following him. I had every intention not to sin again in my life, ever. It only took me a couple hours to realize I had really blown it once again. You have the experiences like that, and you have verses like this that say this, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. You read that, and you're like, okay, the good news is my old self is gone, and I don't have to, I'm not going to deal with sin anymore because the new is here. I'm not going to sin. Amen. And yet, why? Why am I so restless? Why do I get angry? Why am I so selfish? Why do I struggle? Why do I mess up over and over and over again? There's, there's something going on. There's something they're saying here that we have to recognize. We have to believe. We have to receive. We have to adopt. We have to think through. And, and I, just, I just had a hard time 
doing that. I mean, here's what Paul wrote about himself. Paul, he wrote like one third of the New Testament, but he's talking about his own life. And he says this, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Anyone know what he's talking about? For, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Does anyone know what he's talking about? Yeah, me too. Me too. Paul's talking about this, this battle that goes on between you and me and, and our past and what God has for our future. And a lot of times when you talk about when you talk about sin, you'll categorize it. And most people say there's three categories. There's, there's lust and there's greed and there's, and there's pride. And right now I want you to turn to the person beside you and tell him which one's the worst for you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not, don't, don't do that, all right? But, but I, I, you know, which ones do you struggle with? I, all of them, all of them. In fact, when Lisa and I first got married, we moved to South Carolina right after we got married, after about a month, and we had this apartment. It was a two-bedroom apartment. One apartment, one bedroom was from us, and the other one's for our cats. And um, anyway, so, because you gotta do that, right? So, so we got this apartment, and the apartment was great. It was a nice location in Irmo, South Carolina, the home of the okra strut. I, I, know, I know okra's really important to all of you. So, Factoid, throw that one away. All right, so, so we're in this apartment and it's nighttime. I like this apartment, except for in the bedroom, they decided to put the bathroom sink in the bedroom. And, and it wasn't that old of an apartment, but it had a, had a drip. And so every night I hear, whoop, 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 whoop. Night after night, week after week. It's driving me insane. And so I get up in the middle of the night, it's 2 a.m. I get up and I am going to fix that sink. The problem is I'm new married, I have no tools. I got nothing. So I'm trying to open up with a fork. You know, I'm trying to just get, get, get this thing open and try to fix this thing, because I'm gonna fix it. My wife wakes up, she's like, what are you doing? I said, I am going to fix this thing. She's like, you can't fix this thing. And pride just swells up like, I can fix anything. All right, now I'm not a man yet because I don't have any tools, but I got a fork, so I'm opening it up, you know, trying to figure it out. By the morning, I had the whole thing ripped apart. The whole top was, I mean, I didn't have the right tools. My wife was right. You know, there, there's, a, there's a verse in the Bible, it's Proverbs 14, verse 12. It says, there's a way that seems right to a man. <laughs> Ladies, just so you know, every way seems right to a man, but it's a, there's a way that seems right to a man. Does anyone know the rest of the verse? But in the end, it leads to death or destruction. I destroyed the sink. I destroyed, I had to buy a new faucet. Uh, so I had to, I lost money. I lost respect with my wife, but I'm like, why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep doing the things that hurt me and, and, and hurt others? I, I don't want to do those things. I, I want to have a different way of living. How, how about, how about you? So do me a favor and turn to Romans chapter six and we're gonna look at this passage in just a minute in Romans chapter six and Paul is gonna address this issue of how do we move out of the old life into the new life? How do we actually say no to sin and yes to, yes to God? We're gonna talk about that. Before we get there, Romans is like one of my favorite books. It's a very theological book. and words, it's very brainy. It talks about who God is, what he's done, who we can become in, 
in him. And, and the first three chapters are all bad news. Paul starts with the bad news so he can end with the good news. And the, the first three chapters is like, I don't know what your background is. I don't know what you're thinking about your spiritual heritage. I don't know what you think about your religious abilities. But all of that, you have no, listen, we're all on, we're all on the same ground. And here's what it says in chapter three, verse 23. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Aren't you glad you came to church today? All have sinned and fall short. The word sin is there is a, it's an archery term. When someone shoots an arrow, they would take a measuring stick from the perfect centerpiece and they'd measure to where the arrow hit. And that was how much you sinned. Sin just meant missing the perfect mark. Has anyone here missed the perfect mark? If, if, you, if you say no, you just lied in church, you just missed the perfect mark. So we've, we've all missed the perfect mark. And that's, that's the bad news of the first three chapters. And then chapter three, it turns. At the end of chapter three in verses, chapters four and five, we have a, a good side, a good news piece of it. Here's where it starts. Uh, it says, and all are justified freely by God's grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That word justified means that we were declared righteous by God and grace means that it was a gift and redemption is talking about a price being paid, the price paid by Christ. Because of Christ's sin, a death for, for sin on the cross, because of the, his sinless life, he was able to die in our place. In a, in a sense, he's exchanging his death for our death, his life for our life. That's the good news in the middle of Romans. And then you get to chapter six, and I gotta just tell you, I had almost an entire semester of seminary just on chapter six. That's how important it is. That's how heavy it is. That's how challenging it is. And good news today is I'm gonna give you chapter six in about 25 minutes, all right? So I've gotta beg you to stay with me. I've got to beg you to, to pay full attention. I, I've got to beg you to listen. And the things we learn, if we figure this out by God's grace and we're able to apply it to our lives, we're going we're gonna to apply it to our lives, okay? We're going to figure this out because we want to leave the old life. We want to move to the new. So if you're with me, just say yes. Just say yes. Okay, you can't lie in church, all right? So you got to stay with me during this. Let's take a look. Chapter 6, verse 1. Paul starts off saying, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase. I know this sounds strange, but there was a thinking back then that goes like this. When I sin, it shows how big God's grace is, right? I mean, I, I thought that sin was too big for God, but there's no sin too big for God. You, you've never, no matter what you've done, where you've been, what's been done to you, how long you've been gone, how deep the hole is you've dug, God's grace is bigger than that, all right? Amen? All right, so, so he's, what he's saying here is, listen, People are saying, well, if my sin shows how big, God, um, big God's grace is, then if I sin more, God's grace gets bigger. Th that's what they were thinking. He says, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? His answer in verse two is this, by no means. <clears throat> Wrong is what he says, wrong. We, and he says, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? He goes from this experience of sinning over and over again to now an identity of who we are. We are those who have died to sin. What, what, is, what does that mean? We'll, we'll, we'll get into that. We'll, we'll tell you in, in, just, in just a minute. But we, the idea here is we, we, no longer, we no longer are alive to sin and therefore we should no longer live in sin. Verse three says this. 
he's trying to explain it. He says, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? When you get the picture of baptism and next weekend here at Trinity, there's a baptism. And if you are a follower of Christ, you've never made that public profession of faith saying, I belong to Jesus and I want everyone to know it. Next weekend's your weekend. I hope you'll join us and we can celebrate what God is doing in your life. But that picture of baptism is a picture of being identified with Christ, Amen. being connected with Christ, being associated with Christ. And so what he's talking about here is we weren't just, we weren't just identifying with Christ, we're identifying with his death. That there's something in you and something in me that we're identifying with what happened to Christ is happening or has happened to us when we received Christ. Now in baptism, it's a, it's a picture. And in our tradition, the picture is, is this, that just like Jesus was on the cross and he died and he was buried, people come from top of the water, they come down under the water. And the picture is they're, they're being buried in, in baptism. And that's what he's talking about. He says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. He's saying, I, I want, I want, we identify with the death of Christ, but we also identify with the resurrection of Christ. So when, when I got baptized, I had this thing in my head that I heard a rumor that they hold you underwater for one second for every sin you ever committed. <laughs> and I thought, I'm never coming back up. You know, this is, this is terrible. It wasn't true, just so you know. Uh, you guys don't do this at Trinity, right? This, no, they, they don't do it here. It's like three quarters of a second. No. So, but, but yeah, I, I thought, what well, no. And so I, you, you, you were buried in baptism and you're raised back. And just as Christ was raised from the dead, there's something that goes on in you. There's something that goes on in me that we're raised to new life as well. There's something in us that ties Christ's death for our sin to our death to Sin. It goes on in the next verse. It says this, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we didn't die the way Jesus did. It wasn't a physical death. There was something else going on there. We will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. We didn't just die to sin, but now we're living for something else. So, so let's go on. It says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that, here's the reason, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. By the way, that word done away with, it means rendered powerless, all right? And that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And so now you see these important words. Uh, we are ruled by sin, we are slaves to sin, but we have been set free. Now, I'm gonna do something that is a real challenge for me. I need you to know that, that uh, I failed kindergarten art, but I'm about to draw, all right? So, so here we go. I know, get, get, get ready, all right? Here we go. So there's a picture in these verses. And the picture of, is, is this, that there is, there is a throne. That, that's not upside down four. That's, that's a throne, all right? There's, there's a throne. And you and I, when we were born into this world, we are subject to the throne. We're subject to the power on the throne, that every one of us, no matter who we are, where we grew up, what our background is, all of us are subject to what's on the throne here. And the Bible says that what's on the throne here is sin. In this verse, it says we are ruled by sin. We are not just ruled by it, we're what? We're slaves to sin. 
And, and so what happens is that not just are we, are we ruled by sin, we're slaves to sin. So these are chains, just so you know what they is. Uh, it's not dipping dots, it's chains, all right? So you got these chains that we are bound to sin. We can't help but sin. We are ruled by sin. We are mastered by sin. Sin tells us what to do. Now, if you have little children in your house, you, you recognize this is true, right? I mean, babies, you know, you don't have to teach them how to cry. You don't have to teach kids how to, how to steal. You, you have to teach them how to not steal. You don't have to teach them how to lie. They, they lie. They're natural born liars. Kids are natural born liars. So are we. Yeah. Yeah, the good news is we're all natural born sinners. This, this is the way we are. The first words of our kids is normally mom or dad. The second word is mine. You know, it's just, there's, just something, there's just something in us. And this is the bad news. Again, back to the first part of, first part of Romans. But then there's a, another part. So, but we are, we are subject to sin. We are surrendered to sin. We're bowing down to sin. This is, the, this is the natural way that all of us come into the world and the natural way that all of us live in, 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 this, in this world. And what happened is this, is that when Jesus Christ came, it says that the, the, rule, the body ruled by sin might be done away with, rendered powerless. Now, he's not talking about your human body being rendered powerless. He's talking about the spiritual bondage of your life being rendered powerless. And so what happens here, according to Romans 6, is that these chains are broken. Slaves are set free. Life is changed. Christ has come in and he's taken this on himself. He's taken our sin on himself and he's, he's chosen to give us new life. In him. This is what happens with us. This is the picture that we have. The passage goes on. And it says this. Next verse. It says, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. So Christ died on the cross. He rose to new life. Uh, death wasn't master of him. He had the keys to, 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 to conquer sin. He had the keys to win us back over. It goes on. It says this. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So he was no longer subject to sin. He's now subject to his heavenly father. He, he went to heaven and he, he sits beside his father. One day he's coming back for, for all of us. Here's the cool part, okay? Uh, the cool part of the, me the message of the gospel is that we're, we're freed, uh, for, we're forgiven for our past. We have power for our present. We have hope for our future. That we have been forgiven of our past, which means there's no longer, there's a, the penalty of sin is no longer there. And right now we're struggling that the power of sin is no longer in our lives. And eventually the presence of sin will be, will be gone. And it says this, so Jesus lives a new life. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That word count is the word legizomai in the, in the Greek. It's where we get the word logic. It means to recognize, to think, to assume, to acknowledge, to surrender. Acknowledge this. You have, to, you have to count yourself. You're no longer alive to sin. Sin is dead to you, but you're alive to God. So here's the second half of the drawing. Let's see if I can get this one right, all right? So this is another throne. What it says is now there's another throne in your life. There's another opportunity of someone to obey. And guess who it is this time? This time it's God. This is time because you're, you're dead to sin but alive to God. You are no longer a slave to sin. You're now a child of, of God. And you and I can make the choice every single day 
Who are we going to follow? Who are we going to live for? Who is going to be the leader of our lives? We have now a choice. We have a choice. We can either follow sin or we can follow follow God. This is what it's talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, where it says, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. What passed away? What passed away was our separation from God. What passed away was the penalty for our sin. What passed away was the bondage to sin that we have. See, this is the message of Christianity that's so cool. I love it so much because it's the picture of the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world. See, every other religion teaches this, that God is over here and you're over here and there's a problem called sin and you got to figure out how to deal with it. And so what every other religion says is you've got to do something about this. You've got you've to try. You've got to achieve. You've got to work hard to earn your way into God's graces. The question is, how do you do that? And every religion has a different, different way, a different path of here's what you need to do. And you stand up and sit down in church and you say these and you've got the rosary. You've got all these, all these things. You have to earn your way to God's favor. But Christianity is not religion, nor is it religious devotion. It's, it's, something, it's something different. Christianity doesn't say it's about what you do, it's, but it's about what Christ has done, that we can't earn our way, deserve our way, try our way to God, but that God sees our dilemma. He sees this gap of sin, and so what he did is God in his love and mercy and grace came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He died for our sins, and now we put our trust, not trying, but our trusting in him, not achieving, but believing and receiving what Christ has done on the cross, that he paid the penalty for us. And so we can stop trying in our mumbling and fumbling and bumbling ways to try to earn our way and trust in the perfect gift of Christ for our salvation. But not just salvation, for even more than that. To to consider ourselves alive to God and to live for him in every single moment of our lives. Now, this is a different way of thinking. There is a word in the Bible for thinking differently. Does anyone know what the word is? The word for thinking differently is repentance. Repentant means, it means this, that I'm, I'm walking this way and I'm going this way and I'm realizing, no, nope, that's not the right way. And I turn 360, it's 180 and I turn the opposite way. No, I, I was thinking this way, but no, I wanna go God's way. I was thinking about this way, but no, this is what Jesus wants me to do. I was thinking about this way and I was gonna treat my wife and my kids this way. No, nope, that's not what the Bible says. I'm gonna go this way. Repentance simply means a change of thinking that results in a change of action and a change of belief and a change of the direction of your life. That's all it is. Not a bad word, it's a big word. It's an important word. And this is the word that describes what happens in Romans, Romans chapter Six. He talks about this in the next few verses. He says this, don't you know that when you offer yourself, to offer yourself means I'll either offer this way or offer this way. When you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you're the slaves of the ones you obey. Whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience to God, which leads to righteousness. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. So so back to the picture, you've been set free from sin and now you have the choice and Paul's begging us, listen, choose God, choose righteousness, choose to trust him. So I had a pastor back in South Carolina. He was actually the pastor that, that did the wedding for Lisa and I and he moved to South Carolina and we were, while we were there, he was my lead pastor. 
he had this saying, it just, it, it stuck with me. And it goes like this, you know, everyone has something that's number one in their lives. Can you think of what it is in your life? And for some people it's family, for some people it's career, for some people it's that person you're dating, for some people it's moving up the ladder, for some people it's, it's, a, it's a sin habit, for some people uh, it's God. But, but everyone has something that's number one in their life. And whatever's number one in your life controls you. If it's your career, then you're gonna make all your decisions based on what's best for your career. If it's your family, you're gonna make all your decisions based on what's best for your family. Uh, if it's your own uh, lust or addiction or whatever, you're gonna make a lot of decisions based on that, that lust, that addiction, whatever. And you're gonna receive, as a result, rewards and consequences based on the things that you, you choose. Everyone has something that's number one in their life. Whatever's number one in your life controls you. God wants to be number one Amen. in your life. He wants to be number one. And, and here's the cool thing about God. God is not some evil authority. God created you. He loves you. He designed you for a relationship with him. When, when Jesus talked about this scenario, he said this in John 10, 10, the thief came to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you might have life and have it to the full. What God wants for you is the full life he designed for you and me to have. But in order to receive that, in order to achieve that, we have to actually recognize that we can say no to sin and say yes to God in, in our lives. Everyone has something that's number one. Whatever's number one controls you. God wants to be number one and he loves you. He loves me and he designed us. And you're looking at that. That sounds kind of extreme, Scott. I mean, it sounds like it's, a, it's an either or scenario. It's, a, it's an either or kind of scenario. I'm, I'm not sure I, I really like that. And we spend our entire lives being what we call masters of the middle. Masters of the middle. I, I'm not gonna sin a whole bunch, but I'm not gonna live every moment for God. I'm gonna kind of live in the, in the middle of these things. I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna hate people, but I am gonna avoid them and talk about them behind their back. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna lie but I, but I will shade the truth to benefit me a little bit. How about this one? I wanna lose weight. I think I'll grab a pint of ice cream and think about it. <laughs> or how about this? Yeah, I, I know I'm in a lot of debt. I know I'm not supposed to be in debt, but I'm gonna spend money I don't have to buy things I don't need to impress people I don't even know. Ever done that? I wanna have a great marriage. I'm single right now. I wanna have a great marriage, but I'm gonna sleep around until I get married. This is, this is the master of the middle. We do it all the time. Let me show you this passage. This is Galatians chapter five, and there's a whole passage, it's verses 19 through 23. You could read it, but it has two lists. It has one list that talks about the flesh, kind of like sin. And one, flesh, one list that talks about the spirit, like, like God. So you've got the same list going on here as you have in, in Romans. Listen, you gotta make a choice. It's, it's, it's extremes, it's either or, it's not both both end. The first list is the negative list. It's the list of the fruit of the flesh, which is sexual immorality, unhealthy ambition, selfishness, jealousy, hatred, rage, drunkenness, division, idolatry. It's not even the whole list. There's even more. Idolatry is this idea that you're worshiping something, that something's more important, uh, something's number one, and it's not God. That's called idolatry. On the other side, you have this list of the fruit of the Spirit. And you know this one, love and goodness and kindness and joy and patience and gentleness, self-control, peace, faithfulness. I mean, all these good things. And you're like, man, that's, a, that's hard to do. I don't want to do this. I'm not sure I can do that. So what am I going to do? I'm going to become a master 
of the middle. And here's what happens in the middle. So instead of having sexual immorality, uh, you don't want that. You want, you, want, you want love. But you know what? I'm just going to compromise. So I'm going to get involved in porn. And no one will ever know. And it's, and it's, it's not that I don't want to love people, but I definitely don't want to have an affair. So that kind of is a good compromise, don't you think? It doesn't bother anyone but me, right? Sin will always take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you ever thought you would pay. Then there's this, how about selfishness? You know, I, I want to be kind and not selfish, but I'm kind of reluctant because, you know, who's going to think, of, if I'm kind to others, who's going to think about, how about me? I, I, jealousy, I know that's not right. I want joy, but, but I have this critical spirit. I'm always blaming people for things and I'm always finding, you know, I have the ability to, to find problems in the perfect scenario. You know, that's, that's just the way we kind of live with a critical spirit. We're not going to hate people. We want to be patient, but there's a resentment that's growing in me and growing and you, how about this one? Um, we, we don't want to get drunk. We know that's not right. We want to be self-controlled, but what, what's wrong with a bus? And what's wrong with losing a little bit of control, but not completely losing control? Or, or how about this last one? Idolatry is the idea of worshiping something other than God. We don't want that. We want faithfulness. But when we experience God and church and stuff, we're just kind of going through the motions. It's kind of, it's kind of half-hearted. We, we live our lives, we live our lives in, in the middle See, the advice that, that Paul gives in this scenario is we've got to get out of the middle. We've we got to get out of the middle. In the words of the great theologian Mick Jagger, you can't always get what you want. See, we want it all, but he's no, you, you, you can't. There's, there's a choice to be made. This isn't a both-and scenario. This is an either-or. This is an extreme scenario. And what God wants is extreme obedience. By the way, extreme obedience is just obedience. The delaying of obedience is another word for disobedience. God wants our full obedience. He wants our full attention. He wants our full trust in every arena of life. Heart, soul, mind, and, and, and strength. Here's a better theologian. I know this guy a whole lot better. He's a lot smarter. Jesus says this. You can't serve two masters. You hate the one, love the other. Be devoted to one, despise the other. But you, you can't serve Two masters, you have to choose. You have to make a choice. You have to repent, think differently. Choose a different path. Go a different way. In verse 20 of this passage, it says this, when you were slaves to sin, and Paul's making an argument saying, listen, think about it for a minute. You, you were free from the control of righteousness. You, when you were slaves over here, you didn't have to do what God said. You couldn't do what God said. You didn't have to do that. But then he says this, he said, what benefit did you reap at that time from the things you're now ashamed of? Why would you want to stay over there? Don't you know the cost of living in this level? Don't you know the cost of staying in the middle? He says this, those things result in death. When we choose to live in the middle, something in us is dying. When we choose to, to not follow God completely and wholly and wholeheartedly, something in us starts to die. It could be in our marriage. Where we're compromising in such a way and it's affecting our marriage. We may say, well, I'm not sure it is, but yeah, I promise you, it is. It could be in our finances. Well, you know, I know what it means to follow God in my finances, but I'm just gonna, I'm gonna ignore that and do whatever I want to. Whether you realize that something's dying. It could be your generosity. It could be in your marriage, it could be in your, in your career, it could be in your finances, it could be in your relationships, it could be in your mind, it could be in your habits. But here's the question, what's, what's dying in your life these days? I mean, are you, are you as joyful as you used to be? And if not, what, that's probably evidence of 
living in the middle. Are you as generous as you used to be? If not, it's probably evidence of living in the middle. And you need to search your heart and say, God, is there something in me that's holding me back from giving everything to you? Moment by moment and day and day by day, living in the middle kills us. Living in the middle drains us. Living in the middle is not a good place for us, for us to be. Listen, if you're not a Christian, you're probably like, I don't know about that. I don't feel any kind of guilt. But here, here's the thing. Um, you may not feel guilt, but I promise you, whatever it is that's contrary to what Scripture teaches, whatever it is, there's a dying going on. There's something in there that isn't where it needs to be. And God wants so much more for you. If you're a Christian, then here's what happens in my life is I, I know what God wants me to do and I don't do it. I feel guilt and shame and I feel powerless. I feel all these things that I, God doesn't want me to feel in my life. And I've got to choose to come back to him and, and not be guilt-ridden, to make a clean break from those things. So I, I live in Florida. You know, ever been to Florida? Uh, I used to live in the oven, but now I live in the dishwasher. And... Um, at least I don't live in the freezer of Minnesota, all right? So, so but, I, but I, I have a gator behind my house. We have actually a couple gators in the water behind our house, and the gator keeps getting bigger. You know why? It, there's food in that lake. That it, there's food there. You know how big gators can get? As big as the environment allows them to get. As long as they have food, they can continue to grow. Isn't that terrifying to you? Isn't that terrifying? Good new thing is gators don't actually eat things they can't swallow whole, so I've got a few more months left, all right? So, so but, but th that's the idea. You know, what, you know what sin is? Sin is an appetite. You know how sin grows? You feed the appetite. How big can it get? As much as you feed it. You know the cool thing is? Faith is also an appetite. Trust in God is also an appetite. You know how big it can get? As big as you feed it. As much as you choose to feed your appetite, feed your faith, it can grow. And you can overcome these things that are sin and you can be fully devoted to God. Now, now it doesn't mean we're gonna be sinless, but it does mean we'll probably sin less. And so the question is, how do, we, how do we do that? How do we move that direction? And let me give you three steps, three steps to move in that direction. Step number one is make a choice. Make a choice. L look at this passage. It says this, therefore, this is Romans chapter 6, verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't give in to sin. You don't have to. You have the power to say no to every temptation that comes your way. You may not say no, but you have the power. You have the choice to do so. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you will obey its evil desires. And do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness but rather offer yourself to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. That word instrument is the word weapon, the word tool. So listen, you, you can offer yourself as a tool for God, a tool of righteousness to, to do good, but you've got to make the choice. It's, it's an either or, not a both end. You can't stay in the middle. The choice you have to make is, I believe what God says. The choice we all have to make is, I'm going to think differently about that. I want to think about that encounter that I have and every time I'm with her, or every time I'm with him, it just bugs me and I, I, I fall into sin. I'm going to make the choice. I'm going to make the choice. I, I'm going to think about that situation where I know I'm making the wrong decision. I'm going to make a choice say, to say no to that, to say yes to God. I'm going to make a choice. You've got particular situations in your life right now that you know. You know you're living in the middle. I've got the same ones that I'm, I have to wrestle with every single morning with God. I, I have to surrender those things. Make the choice. Offer yourself to God and not to that. Second decision is this. 
Just make a plan. Make a plan. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail, right? So make, make a plan. So here's my plan. It's not a, simple, it's not a hard plan. It's a very simple plan. Uh, every single morning, I write in my journal, because I'm a man, I write in my journal, and I, and I talk to God about what I'm wrestling with. At the end of my journal, here's, I write three lines. Here's my lines. Help me to adore my wife and to cherish my kids. That's my first line. It's a choice I make every single day. Second one is, help me lead with moral authority. I know I'm going to lead some people today, and people are going to be looking for me, and I want to be a moral authority. I want people to say, uh, be able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. I want them to say, yeah, this is a leader worth following. So I make the choice every single day. And the final one is this, help me be generous to somebody today. Help me live for something bigger than, help me live bigger than myself. Help me live generously today. I make those choices daily. That's my plan. I'm gonna love my wife and my kids. I'm gonna live with integrity and I'm gonna be kind and generous to somebody. Sounds like it's, it's not that hard, but let me just tell you, it's a choice of surrender every single day. God, I know what you want from me. I'm not gonna do this. I'm gonna follow you. That's my plan. What's, what's your plan? Because you can make a plan for that one event, but, but how do you make a plan for a lifetime? How do you make decisions daily? Success doesn't happen in a day, but it does happen daily in our lives. Our daily decisions matter. They determine our future. The third thing we need to do is make a friend. Make a friend. There's this guy named Alex Honnold. Does anyone know that name? Anyone ever see the movie Free Solo? Uh, Alex decided to climb uh, El Capitan in Yosemite without any ropes. And this, it's, it's just a sheer wall. He tried to climb all the way up that wall. And every single day, his, he said goodbye to his wife. She thought he was gonna die because he's got no ropes. He's, he's climbing thousands of feet, no ropes. One hand slip, one foot slip, and it's over. And I'm thinking, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I mean, they made a movie of it because he made it, but that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. No, we don't live that way. We, 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 we want to have ropes. Friends are our ropes. Those who know us are our ropes. Let me give you a definition of a friend. A friend who is someone who knows everything about you, and they love you anyway. A friend is someone who speaks truth to you and you listen. A friend is someone who doesn't always agree with you, but you respect that. You want to hear a different opinion from them. And, and a friend is someone who sticks by you even when you've been stupid. I need real friends. The Bible has a word for these friends. You know what the, the word is? Church. Church is not a building you sit in. It's a people you choose to be a part of. It's people who help us meet, know, and follow Jesus, help us to challenge us in the things of life. And listen, all of us need good friends. Here at Trinity, there's lots of ways to make friends. But in that context of a friendship, I'm just gonna give you one more thing to think about. I'm gonna ask you to use some soap. Use some soap with your friends. They're like, what? Soap is an acrostic. When I meet with my friends, my true friends, we'll talk about S's for scripture. We'll talk about what we're learning in the Bible, what God is doing in our lives. O is for outreach. We'll talk about those people we're reaching out to and, and how we're on mission for God. A is accountability. We'll ask each other certain accountabilities for the, for the signature sins, the things we wrestle with. Just ask us about those kind of things. And by the way, at the end, I'd always ask, uh, and, and did you just lie about any one of those things? And then finally, P was for prayer. How can I pray for you? S-O-A-P, scripture, outreach, accountability, and prayer. And that's how I've made friends that stick by me even when I've been stupid. That's how I made friends who speak truth to me and I listen. That's how I made friends who, who disagree with me and I, I respect it. 
That's how I have friends who know everything about me and, and they love me anyway. I desperately want you to have a friend. And the greatest friend in the world is Jesus Christ because he knows everything about you and loves you anyway. And this is what he did for us. We have a choice to make. Make a change, make a, make a plan, make a friend. Can I pray for you? Father in heaven, thank you so much for your grace in our lives. We know that what you desire for us is a life that's surrendered to God, a life that's free, and the freest place to be is under your authority. The freest place to be is under your wisdom. The freest place to be is to listen to the one who designed us, who knit us together in our mother's womb, who created us and said we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And he wants so much for us that he gave his one and only son to die on the cross, that we might be set free from sin. God, I'm no longer a slave to sin. I am a child of God who is loved and forgiven and blessed and empowered. And I want to live that life you want me to live. But I've got to make a choice every single day, every single situation, every single moment to choose to live for you. So God, give me the grace to know the right things to do and to have the courage to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna invite you for just a couple more seconds just to keep your heads bowed and your eyes still closed. I believe the Holy Spirit's speaking to many of us in the room today. And you would say, you know, Pastor, there's never been a moment in my life, just like Pastor Scott said, where you made the decision, you made a choice, I'm gonna make you the Lord of my life. And you're here in the room or you're online and you could just say, Pastor, I've been going my own way. I've been keeping God at a distance. But today, you know he's speaking to you. And right here in this moment, you need to give your heart fully to God. So if that's you, you know today you need to make this decision right where you are, pray this prayer, put it in your own words, but mean it with all of your heart. Say this, say, today, God, I am sorry. I'm sorry for going my own way. I'm sorry for keeping you at a distance. Tell him that. But today, God, as simply as I know how, I give you control of my life. Come, live inside of me, change me, make me the person you long for me to be. And just declare this, that today I receive all that you have for me, all that Jesus accomplished on the cross, grace, mercy, forgiveness, come wash me clean. Today I make you the Lord of my life. Now, Holy Spirit, I thank you for every person who's praying that prayer. Some today are praying that prayer for the very first time. Others, it might be a recommitment prayer, Lord, but you know right where they are. And so today we just say thank you. Thank you for saving people. Thank you for meeting people right where they are today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. How about a church? Would you celebrate with me those who just said yes to Jesus? Come on, Isn't that awesome? If you just prayed that prayer, take a moment and fill out the connection card that we've talked a lot about today inside your worship guide or online. Um, just click the box. Today I'm giving my life to Jesus or I'm recommitting my life to Christ. Uh, wherever you are on the journey, we wanna celebrate that with you. Um, and again, it's the same hassle-free guarantee. We're just gonna give you an email giving you some really clear next steps with your faith in Jesus. And talking about next steps is we have a thing here called the growth track. It's a two-step process that will help you know God, find a friend, discover your purpose so you can make a difference. Um, next Sunday is step one of the growth track. So come to the first service, the 9.30 service, and then right after that service is over, go to the lobby, our growth track room, our team, our staff will greet you, answer all the questions that you have, and next Sunday, you can begin taking your next steps here 
at Trinity Church. Um, and a couple other things I wanna highlight before we send you out. Um, you heard about this, Pastor DJ mentioned it in the news, um, but our single mom's oil change is just a couple weeks away. I'm really excited about that. We are in need of a couple more mechanics that can um, change tires, change oil, um, more than just people that can assist. Like, you know, I'm like Pastor Scott, you don't want me touching a vehicle with any type of um, tool or machinery. So I'm there for like moral support. Um, but we, if you can change oil, you can change tires. Um, we would love for you to serve that day. There's a, um, a table right there in the lobby. Um, you can sign up, you can register. And if you're a single mom, or if you know of a single mom that would just benefit greatly from this ministry, we would love for you to invite them to be a part of this incredible day on March the 26th. Um, and we'll give you all the information about that. Um, and one more thing before we um, worship the Lord um, through our giving um, is we, many of you have asked about just our involvement with everything that's happening in Ukraine. And we've called our church to pray for the people of Ukraine and Eastern um, Europe. And because of your amazing generosity, we've been able to go ahead. We were able to send $5,000 to Convoy of Hope. We were able to send $5,000 to Converge, some of our mission partners that are right there on the front line with refugees coming into Poland. And so thank you for your amazing and your continued generosity. Many of you have said, how do we do that? In the back um, of your seat backs are online. You can give and just write other, and then just write Ukraine relief and 100% of your giving will go right to the front lines there in Ukraine. And we'll give you updates about that in the days ahead. Um, but church, it's because of your amazing generosity that we're able to do those things. We serve a give first God, so we're gonna be a give first people. And so however you give, in fact, right now, church, we're gonna worship the Lord through our giving. Aren't you excited to do that? I know you are. Boxes in the back, online. Um, God loves the cheerful givers. That's why we cheer. That's why we clap for it. Um, and again, you guys are absolutely amazing. So thankful for, for each and every one of you. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet all over the room. I wanna pray a blessing over you. Um, if you need prayer for any reason, our prayer team will be down front. We would love to pray with you and we would love to pray for you. And if you're a guest in the room today, I'll be down front for just a few moments and I would love to shake your hand and I'd love to welcome you to church today. And one more time, can we just thank God for that incredible message from Pastor Scott today? Isn't that amazing? One of the most practical sermons you'll ever hear on Romans chapter six. And I'm so grateful um, for your ministry today. Thank you for that. Let me pray. God, thank you for the amazing people of Trinity Church. Thank you for what you're doing here today, God. Thank you for saving people, for meeting us right where we are. And now I pray that the people of God that will apply the word of God to our life and will leave different than how we came. And I pray that we'll have the most amazing Sunday afternoon that we've ever had. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, I love you. Keep coming back. We'll see you next weekend. God bless you.